Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sports Dome Podcast, day one of the third test in England, Australia at Headingley. The match situation is as follows. Australia, made 263, losing the toss and being sent in by England. Mitchell Marsh made one of the great comeback tons, I think, and he's, he's used to making these comeback tons. It was one of the great tons, to be honest. It was it was so dominant. It was so good. Mark Wood on comeback showed why England missed Mark Wood so dearly. Five for 34. Chris Wokes with three for 73. He had some good... He told hard. He bowled long spells and he had some good spells. Some parts were quite pedestrian with his bowling, but I think um, I think he'd be pretty happy with his return in the end. Three for 73. England in response to 68 for three. Zach Crawley made 33, Joe Root not out of 19, Johnny Bairstow not out of 1, Pat Cummins a pick of the ball, 2 for 28, as good as ever. Trailing by 195, the test match was poised well, and I guess to start off by talking about the pitch. It was a good test match pitch. I, I liked what the pitch was like. It was, it was good for batting. It wasn't uneven, there wasn't a plethora of moisture and grass where it sort of became that if you bowled first, you're going to bundle the opposition for 115 no matter what, and if you didn't, then you'd be in trouble, but it had moisture in it, it had sideways movement in it, but it had pace and bounce in it, which was so good to an extent. It probably worked against England with the likes of Mitchell Marsh, but it definitely worked for them with the likes of Mark Wood, um, but it is still a good banning wicket, so Australia probably do feel with 263, they're probably around 30 to 40 short on what they would have liked as a par total, but with the three wickets they've gotten, with the bowling tech they have, they're right in it, and this test match is very well poised. The start from the top of the day with I think I want to start with Manus Labuschagne. I was very intrigued with the way he was batting. Um, Kumar Sankar on Sky did a piece about how great players make adjustments between test matches, and he showed the adjustments that Labuschagne had made between test matches, in which in the third test match he was standing much more leg side compared to the first one. And he talked about how his back foot, back and across movement was more pronounced. That it was. Um, it was more pronounced, but what I really liked about the technical change that Manus Labuschagne made was how stable he was. Um, and how sort of more organized and well lined up he was. He was lined up perfectly with off stump. He wouldn't go outside off stump. He would, his shoulder would sort of line up in between off and middle stump. This allowed him to be very balanced and not leaning outside off or sort of not leaning too far the other way when trying to flick a ball. And we all know that Marat Labashain, his strength is that flick shot and down the ground. Anything on his pads, he will pounce on. And that's what he did um, at the start of yesterday's innings. Because he was so balanced, he was able to read very well which balls are the ones that he's that are sort of feeding to his strength. And he was able to act on them. And he acted on them pretty well. I thought Demarius Labuschagne ultimately was dismissed. I, I thought by a pretty good ball. Once again, his feet sort of got into a bit of no-man's-land position. Um, but I thought he played pretty well. And, uh, maybe we can see some glimpses of Labuschagne later in the series. Because for, for now, it hasn't been a disappointing start, especially by his standards. And the eagerness that Labuschagne himself has to make runs. Um, yeah, let, let's move on to the Mark Wood. The freshness of Mark Wood. It was so refreshing to see the pace that Mark Wood had. It was so refreshing to see batters being hurried, batters being asked questions that hadn't been asked of them yet in the test match. It was in fact... Um, Surreal. I think it was surreal seeing someone so quick in the likes of Labuschagne, Kwaja, and having sort of the footwork in complete disarray, especially for someone like Uthman Kwaja. Why he is an avid mover of his feet, and he doesn't move his feet that much. He is um, very controlled and precise in his foot movement. He goes back and across, stays deep in his crease, plants his front foot, and defends right under his eyes. 
with Mark Wood, he was sort of his feet were in disarray, especially to the short ones, um, and that led to sort of the, the setup of of his dismissal. He got a few short ones. His his footwork was sort of out of place, and then um, he thought Wood had gone full up, which Quadra likes. When the ball is really full, he would actually go with hard hands and, and drive it with force, which he looked to do to the full of the ball. Um, but it swung in very late. The extra pace ensured that sort of Quadra went really hard at the ball rather than playing it under the eyes, and ultimately he lost his shape completely. He was bowled through the gate, and it was a refreshing sight to even see the timber cast would in such a dominant way. And Mark Wood, yeah, he adds another dimension to this England lineup. Um, and I think England definitely missed Josh Tong on this on this on this pitch as well. I reckon Tong instead of Robinson may have been a shout. I I, I believe he was rested. It would be strange for Josh Tong to be dropped after the performance he gave in the last match. I get he's also coming off injury and he's he's injury prone, but potentially it may have been a shout to play him just for this one test match on what is yet the fastest wicket of the series, especially considering the impact he had last match and Steve Smith even said that Tong was probably the hardest to face out of the England bowlers. Let's move on to England's catching. Bairstow drops head on eight. Regulation chance should have taken it any day of the week. Root dropped Marsh on twelve. Sharp chance should have taken it. Um, Root ended up dropping another catch later on. I can't remember who it was, but he did drop another catch later on. England now dropped fourteen catches in the series and missed one stomping. That's essentially one and a half extra innings of bowling a team out. So when you're looking to get twenty wickets in a test match, I guess fifty if you're gonna count the five innings they bowled in. England essentially having to get sixty-four wickets. Um, this extra what five wickets per per innings and with how docile the first test match was that doesn't help um with the dominant position that australia was in the second test match that doesn't help so these drop catches are these one percenters and to an extent they're not even one percenters at the stage because now they're turning to like 10 percent or 15 percent because of the volume of drop catches there have been but um both the games have been matches of fine margins, and these are the margins that I think have potentially dictated um, and decided these games, especially the first Test match, because if those catches had been hung, hung on to earlier, they would have won that Test match with how close that was. Even the second Test match, it would have been a bit of a decreased lead, and they would have had a better chance to chase what down to an extent. You can say it's costing England games at this stage. Um, I think Peter Laylaw and Gideon Hay um, summarized it pretty well in their, in their podcast. It was their preview podcast going into the Henningley Test match where they talked about how the first test match was about Bairstow's keeping that lost in the match and the second test match was about Bairstow's dozius which lost in the match um, yesterday was probably about Root dropping more than Bairstow but Bairstow did also drop Travis Head it didn't cost them as much as the one where Root dropped Mitchell Marsh because that cost them a ton but the drop catches are, are, are costing them speaking of Mitchell Marsh wow that's all I have to say 118 out of 118 balls, run and ball, 100 strike rate, he came in for Australia 85 for 4. So Australia went in trouble. If Mitch Marsh got out then, I, Australia could have potentially bought out for 150, 170, which potentially could have lost in the game just then, because this pitch isn't a 150, 170 game. Travis Head was a 9 when Mitchell Marsh came into bat. Um, he ended up being on 35 when Mitchell Marsh made 100. And Travis Head is the enforcer of the Australian team. In fact, he's one of the enforcers in world cricket. His strike rate has been an all-time high, close to 90 um, since his return. He is the counter-attacking player who takes games away from oppositions. Ask India, ask, um, ask England even. 
35 years old. Yeah, he struggled big time, but that shows, it puts into perspective how much of a dominant innings Mitchell Marsh has played and how dominant he can be on his day. Um, the dominance could be visually seen. The dominance could be visually heard. Refer to the six of Moeen Ali, the thump into the side screen, the poor shot of Chris Wokes after he brought up 100. Wokes didn't even look where it went. We knew it was going for six. It was about, it was about how far could it go? How much could we be amazed by how far it went? And it was ridiculous, his, his, his sort of ball striking, and just the, the relentless nature of his ball striking. And that it got me thinking, and sort of the conclusion that I've come to is that what has led to Mitch Marsh's cricketing success in the past few years is a shift in mindset. I think before he was quite bogged down over his recurring modes of dismissals, usually in test match cricket at least, it would be edging off with hard hands. Now he knows that there are certain balls that he shouldn't play with hard hands. And in limited overs, his success has partially come from the fact that he can get away with playing those balls with hard hands because there isn't as much moisture in the wickets. The ball isn't moving as much, and line length isn't that much of a wicket-taking currency. In fact, it can be predictable at times in limited overs cricket. But what we saw yesterday was, I think, this sort of newly developed trust in his defence. He was able to trust his defence, but even when he was sort of caught into squared up or edged off for example and should have been out if Joe had taken it he didn't sort of let up on his urgency to score he was unrelenting in his urgency to score Mitchell Marsh had a clear game plan any ball that lacked a coherent length whether it was floated up too full or was not a, was not a good length but not short enough such so as a half track length Marsh was ready to smash it as hard as he can into the gap that's his game he says I'm here to score boundaries I'm going to take games away from opposition so every bad ball you give me I'm going to hit hard that doesn't matter if I've been beaten the balls before. It doesn't matter if I've been edged off. I know what my strengths are, and I'm going to continue to play with my strengths. He wasn't worried about a previous edge that he was dropped on. He was constantly looking to play to his strengths. And if I'm being honest, I think England fed into his strengths too much, especially in that phase after lunch. They floated way too many up. Um, and then when they started floating them up... Um, then they overcompensated by sort of going into a, a no man's length. It was just half trackers sitting up and on a fast wicket with a person growing up playing the pull shot as well as he does, like most Western Australian batsmen do. It was it was a feast. It was a it was a feast for Mitchell Marsh and he he made most of it. He he cashed in perfectly. Um but luckily for England they have the enforcer that they have in Mark Wood. And he came with 5 for 34, ensuring that the damage that Mitchell Marsh did, it was damaging, but the game hadn't got away from England, which it was threatening to do if Marsh continued about for maybe an hour. Australia could have potentially got to 350, um, which I think would have been a pretty good score on the surface. I think Mark Wood is perfect for this enforcer role with the low order because I think now there is a reputation created in world cricket that people are gen genuinely intimidated and scared by him. Australia have faced the wrath of Mark Wood in many tours now. In fact, he debuted against Australia, I think, at the 2013 Ashes. Could completely be wrong. I think it was 2013. Um, no, maybe it might have been 2015. I think it was 2015. Yeah, yeah, 2015. I think it was the one where Ash and Agar played. Um, was that 2015? Uh, I'm not too sure. But yeah, Woods, Woods' day out highlighted how strong of the influences in this England lineup. Mitch Marshall got out, and then Wood came straight on, and he got rid of the tail, just like Stokes wanted him to do. Mitchell Stark stood no chance. Pat Cummins' bat didn't even get down, and I think that was a dismissal that typified how useful Wood is in this enforcer role to lower order. Pat Cummins is a good batsman. England found out first first match. He was a hero. 
His bat wasn't even near the frame of the ball. That's how well beaten by the pace and control he was by Mark Wood. Todd Murphy chopped on. He played a few good shots. I thought Todd Murphy looked pretty good. He showed showed good glimpses of his batting ability, which have come into fruition in sort of grade cricket and domestic cricket in Australia. Um, but yeah, Mark Wood five for thirty four, and he I think he saved England's blushes and sort of ensured that you know what England. I think finished a bit ahead at the end of the ball innings, and it was a great performance, and it just shows how good he is. He's quick, but he has unrelenting control, and I just wish he can stay fit because man, he is a fresh sight to watch. Then came England. Zach Crawley looked in control once again. Um, they were looking using the gaps pretty well, but Ben Duckett was out pretty early. And I think for Ben Duckett, um, as I discussed in the previous podcast from the last test match, he has a great range of shots. I think it's a very classy player. When on top form, he looks as dominant as most batters in the England team. And I think he's a very organized and very good batter, a good test match batter. But I think with Ben Duckett, there is one part of his game that he doesn't need to visit. Um, and it's sort of a recurring theme in his dismissals. This sort of proclivity and temptation that he gives into to constantly cut balls off any back of the length on off or outside off doesn't have so there's two scenarios in which this works against Ben Duckett one where the ball is not short enough to cut or or it's too close to his body and usually nicks off or two on pitches like the ones yesterday when there's this extra bounce and Ben Duckett without really sort of taking into account the extra bounce is looking to cut on the up no matter what that's how many yesterday the ball rose off a length as it did on this quick handling pitch for for the most of yesterday and Duckett should have noted that while he was fielding um, especially while he was batting because there were a few that rose, rose off a length even when he was batting like he had faced them himself he went to cut regardless rose off a length edged off so then this needs to be sort of this um, I guess reflection introspection of when the cut shot should be played yes it's one of his good shots it's one of his strengths but it's also getting him out a lot um, so I think he needs to sort of realize and I, I'm sure he has realized but I think um, he needs to come into practice and I guess fruition Mitch Marsh he, he pounced on Zach Crawley as well and Zach Crawley was looking really good so I think that was a big wicket it was, it was a bit of a tame dismissal the ball was sort of out there Zach Crawley just hung his bat um, pretty antithetical to how he has been batting in the Spazball era he's been quite con- convicted with what he was doing he's been quite precise with what he's doing quite deliberate with what he's doing he either puts into gap or drives with sort of complete control and um, assertion but he sort of just hung his bat out there. Mitch Marsh found the edge. It was, it was a pretty well-controlled ball. And he had the wicket. It was a pretty big wicket, I thought, before the end close of play. Because then Joe Root and Johnny Best had to just shut up shop and just fought till the end of the day. Um, which is good. I'm honestly happy to see that because they showed that moderation that is required in basketball. Joe Root didn't try any reverse ramps with like five hours left in the day. And the precarious situation that England could have found themselves in if one of them got out. So, yeah, they use their brains. They use that sort of moderation that we saw at the start of day five from Duncan and Stokes. How does the game position like? I think it's even. I think 68 for three is probably one more that England wanted to lose. But they've got batting left. They've got Maui Nali, Chris Wokes, obviously Ben Stokes. Joe Root is still there, which is key. Um, I think England will be looking for a 100-run lead if they can, but a minimum 50-run lead. Australia will be looking to, I think, keep them keep them to their score as a, as a minimum but if they can get them out for less and get a few early wickets tomorrow it'll be fascinating because England chasing is also another beast and you don't really know what is a big enough score for them um, it's fascinating it was once again a great day of test match cricket it was it was a it was a new there was a new mode to this test match with the pace and the bounce and sort of how the 
how awkward the battle looked and how much I had to work hard, and I'm all for it. I think that's what Test Match Cricket is. There are five match series, there are many narratives, there are many tactical tactics, and there are many, I guess, technical viewpoints that can unfold. And the Ashes is doing this. What's the concern is continuing to be fascinating. I'm sure it'll be fascinating again. See you back for day two. If you did enjoy, please um, follow me uh, on your podcast app, leave a review, share it around. Be back for day two. Thank you.